0: oh, oh. 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 Honestly unbalanced.
1: it's episode 26 of honestly unbalanced and we're speaking to a very special woman that i'm sure you'll fall in love with that's zephyr wildman zephyr has been a senior yoga teacher in london since 2002 and teaches on various teacher trainings she's an ambassador for armala lululemon and teaches for the gates foundation in london her teachings focus on combining the elements of creative movement flow dynamic sequencing a focus on alignment and kinesiology she's also uh, a deep tissue massage therapist and she's been doing that since 1991 And beyond the physical side of yoga asana, she's got a great interest in integrating psychology, yoga philosophy and the attraction of self-study within her own practice. She's got some amazing teachers that she's learned from, including Tara Brach, Jack Kornfield, Mary Taylor, Richard Freeman, Rod Stryker and Doug Keller. Zephyr is a wonderful person. Enjoy the podcast, guys.
2: If you're on the market for a yoga mat and you want the best... I highly recommend Lifeform. I've used them since long before I was an ambassador, and now you can get a discount code from us: ten percent off with code The Hustlers, all caps. Remember, no T in Hustlers—that's The Hustlers—and uh, you get ten percent off. Uh, and also, if you do enjoy our podcast, please do share it, review it, tell your friends, and all that stuff. It'd be massively appreciated. Cheers, guys.
0: Honestly I'm
2: But keeping it simple is your motto, quote of the week. What is
3: yeah. it? Last week, yeah, keep it simple.
2: How, how is that working for you?
3: Well, it definitely is serving me. It's probably more for me than for my students right now because I think the kind of one foot in the UK and one foot in the US at the moment, dealing with politics, um, cultural uh, issues of polarity and then just trying to survive COVID and seeing myself in both of really trying to keep it simple because I have a tendency to you know go down the downward spiral into that perpetual kind of fear projection catastrophizing wanting to control because I don't feel safe I don't feel loved in my community anymore I feel separate and all of a sudden that kind of downward spiral of us and other kind of starts to happen and I become so overwhelmed I become a nut job so i to practice <laughs> and keep it simple
2: that w- i only learned that word recently uh catastrophize cat- i can't even say it catastrophizing. Catast- catastrophizing
0: catastrophizing yeah actually when i was
2: seeing a counselor he it's was like you s- have a tendency to catastrophize. catastrophize
0: it's quite satisfying
2: to say is it yoga teachers do we do we all have this
3: no i think <laughs> it's a certain breed of a special person that likes to kind of You know, I I, I do think it stems from a deep foundation of insecurity at a fundamental level that you are always perceiving. It's an acronym of fear, Um, uh, false evidence appearing real Mm. in Mm. in that way of kind of trying to protect yourself because you come from an insecure attachment so you're always heightenly sensitive to try to control people places and things to make yourself feel safe and so you're always looking at you know the boogeyman you know what's around the corner and it's if something goes wrong then all of a sudden it's just like this massive explosion of like okay i need a plan for armageddon <laughs> <laughs> And it's not really real. It feels real, but it's not true. And if you can catch, well, if I can catch myself in projecting into the future of trying to control an outcome to make me feel safe, I start to go, oh, that's me being, you know, out of balance or um Disease in some way mm. so certain slogans definitely help anchor my attention into simple things of the here and now which is all about the kind of yogic process of being in the moment moment by moment awareness that one day at a time this too shall pass um you know first things first of keeping it simple those are actually recovery slogans mm. um but they're kind of slogans like i've said is are like bumper stickers they bump up against you and they stick on you and we have um yogic ones and we have buddhist ones like you know all the buddhist slogans that we use to try to anchor our attention in that wise discernment with loving awareness In how do we occupy this moment because mm. i have a tendency to either reflect in the past or mm. go into the future and i'm technically pissing on the present
2: <laughs> <laughs> love that. So there is a really fine line there isn't there with the future looking and the control of the future because of course if we don 't plan no nothing 's going to happen positive or negative in our lives. We are going to be static and stagnant we do We do need to think about things, and you know we do need to bring an umbrella out if we live in London et cetera mm-hmm. but it 's the same time as how how far do we go with that and that, and that is It's a really fine line, isn't it? And that's something I've always struggled with because I plan for every scenario in every situation. And often Mm. it serves me because the thing that could Mm. happen, one of the the thousand things that could have happened did happen and I'm prepared for it. Mm. And even let's say in terms of catastrophizing, you know, the Stoics would often prepare mentally for their friend or loved one dying. So then when it did happen, they had rehearsed it and were prepared for it and could be Mm. calmer. Uh, what do they call they call it negative visualization,
3: mm. but then it
2: can be consuming. So how have you taught yourself to find that line?
3: Well, there's a really another recovery slogan um, well, a prayer that we say is the serenity prayer, mm. and so you could say God or universe or in yoga, Ishvara, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. that discernment of wisdom to understand. What you have no power over. I don't have power over the pol- political issues right now. Mm. I don't have power over climate change stopping. I don't have power over whether my kids are going to grow up to be good people. But what I can do, what I have power over, is I can vote. Um, mm. I can I can choose more uh, to buy more st- sustainable things, or I can, you know, start to empower my children with critical thinking with you know, um, mirroring and kind of better kind of way of creating a stable base in which they feel strong enough, confident enough to actually go out in their life and be who they're meant to be. So it's a difference of kind of switching of like understanding what I have power over, what I'm empowered with and what I'm powerless over. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, my recovery 12 step recovery program has definitely coincided with my understanding of yogic philosophy. And they've linked hand in hand to understanding myself and where I go out of balance. It kind of keeps me on this metal path of understanding of like, you know, when I go way far left or way far right, I'm like, Oh, I now know the path back to the center, but it just takes a lot of practice. But it's, it is, I feel like intentions are really, really good. Mm. Like, setting intentions, like, you know, you were saying small little goals, like I need to make sure that I remember my umbrella because it might rain. I need to make sure that I do this and this and I'm responsible for my duties, my obligations, you know, showing up as a teacher and fulfilling, you know, teaching a class and being on time and ending on time and doing these, these kind of little responsibilities and duties. I think that is a a part of our virtue of being human, our our purpose, our dharma, and the um, support in which we can fulfill our dharma. So that is really helpful. And if we can actually, at the beginning of the day, set certain intentions to kind of go, okay, I recognize This morning, I woke up and I'm really rajasic, my mind's going a mile a minute, I'm feeling like I want to jump out of my skin, I have far too much energy and it's turning into anxious energy. What am I afraid of? So you tap into kind of like, what is that fear? What is that vulnerability? What am I trying to control? Or you wake up and you feel really depressed and you feel really dark and tamasic and you just feel like I just want to turn into a duvet and not get up okay, what is this about? And you kind of check in. In the beginning of the day, hence why we traditionally practice in the morning is to actually set an intention to practice. Like, you know, what do I need from this practice to restore me to a state of serenity, sanity, and peace? And that little intention can carry me kind of like a compass throughout the day to get the things that I need to do done without feeling like if... To kind of control an outcome. And if it doesn't work out the way that I wanted, then I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. It's more about, you know, is this serving me? Is this aligned to kind of, you know, my heart's intention and what I need to do as a Zephyr body? And how can I use this to be, be of service to other people and my environment?
0: Mm.
3: You're looking perplexed, Adam.
2: No, no, that's my, my default face. I've got a very like smudgy face. So I kind of lean smudgy on it, and it just face. it just kind of contorts slightly
0: <laughs> and frowns, and kind of goes, "What are you?" <laughs> yeah, he's got a resting frown face. Yeah,
2: it's just sort <laughs> okay. dark, big eyebrows. Anyway, enough of my face. Do, do you have like? Do you have teachers that have guided you through this, or continue to guide you through this process? Because what you're talking about, you're talking about it very kind of kind of coherently. You know your stuff. How have you got to this point?
3: Um, Well, through practice and yeah, I've had so many different teachers along the way. I I grew up on a hippie community. I grew up with a bunch of yogis. It was in the eighties when aerobics was there too. And Mm -hmm. I grew up in the kind of fitness and wellness Mm -hmm. industry and I saw a lot of con artists and I saw a lot of people in positions of power taking advantage of other people. So I have always been fiercely independent at my own fault. And I found it really hard to subscribe to just one teacher. Mm. And so I've had my fingers in loads of pies. So I kind of, it's another re- recovery slogan that I've taken what I'd like and leave the rest. And I guess it's like, you know, a student of all, master of none, mm. that I I kind of filter out the things that really resonate with me but it keeps me seeking and it keeps me open and willing to be guided by everyone. You know, at the end of my practices, I always have everybody closed by honoring their own teacher and then, and humbly honoring all the teachers that come before us, whatever form they may take. I see teachers in everything, but I I had to come to a a certain understanding of the yogic process, as well as the 12 step um, recovery process to kind of, be able to self articulate. I, I I, had a stutter, I was so insecure. I have severe dyslexia and mental uh, audio d- dyslexia. I have masses amounts of insecurity and self doubt. I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. There's like so much baggage, but it actually served me because when I started studying this stuff, practicing this stuff, um, hearing it from other teachers and going, wow, that was like, oh, that moved me. I was really hungry because there was such a, this uh, crack or a void or a, um, a lacking of certain nourishment that I needed that I was soaking it in for self-healing. And I had moments, my awakenings were like little tiny Wild fly- flowers, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a big bang mm-hmm. like a fireworks display of like, oh, I've experienced a kundalini awakening. <laughs> no, I've no, it's not like that for me. It's more of like these little tiny blossoming's of things that really light the way in me recognizing the path to find my way back at home in myself. But it's a remission on a daily basis, contingent upon my practice and that connection to spirit or whatever it is. Um, So hence why I practice quite a lot. And so I really live and breathe this stuff. I don't, you know, a lot of the time when I'm teaching during the week, I'm inspired by my own practice Mm. because I need to hear it. I Mm. need to feel it. I need to be moved by it. So I can, you know, better navigate my own life um, and deal with, you know, the the stuff that we are all facing. Mm.
0: At what point did you decide to go from student to teacher?
3: Um, it was actually a forced experience. <laughs> um, I, I was a, commu- um, a student at a community hall, uh, the Tabernacle in Notting Hill, and Louise Grime was my teacher and she reminded me of like my mom's sister like a crazy wild aunt because my mom was a big hippie and really a yoga teacher and louise has that same energy that very vata and she's just very nurturing but also quite tough and she approached me and she goes i can't come next week you're going to teach the class for me
0: and i was wow like, oh, uh,
3: L- louise like i'm not a teacher no you can teach you can teach
0: oh my gosh <laughs>
3: And I was like, "Oh my gosh, okay, okay." And um, I taught, and I got I was like, "God, I love this." She got good feedback from her students. Everybody gave me good feedback. It really kind of was like, "Oh, I love doing this because my I, my mom was a teacher when I was growing up. She had her own massage school. I was one of her students, I assisted her. So I saw my mom being a teacher. She taught yoga, she taught aerobics. I was exposed to um, a mother figure who was a teacher. So me stepping in that role was a very familiar um, experience. So when I got to do it, I was like, this is really cool. And then Louise was like, well, um, I know a yoga school that's starting up. They need students. Would you be interested in doing it? And I said, yeah, I'd totally be up for it. And I started training and it just kind of opened up a whole new avenue. I did, I was going to uh, pre-med when I met my late husband. So I was studying a lot of sports medicine. I wanted to be a proper doctor, not some witch doctor like my mom, (laughs) doing yoga and massage and all this, uh, you know, aromatherapy and homeopathy. And I was just like, oh, whatever. Um, So I had a huge amount of anatomy physiology background, biomechanics background, and I had an interest in the spiritual science because of my background. But what brought me to yoga was my body falling apart. And then me recognizing in yoga, it was a very co- cohesive way of start starting that healing process, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So when I started doing yoga, I found myself in recovery in Al-Anon, which is a 12-step fellowship for um Uh, friends and families of alcoholics and addicts and taking responsibility and accountability for you know my childhood and the people in it and and myself in that and how to have healthier boundaries and start to re-nurture and care for myself on my mat and in a group environment with other people who are trying to heal from a very common you know experience Mm. of Mm. being affected by an alcoholic or an addict so it was kind of an interesting one of how I came to teach was really me seeking to heal myself, me having a base of interest in human you know, function and anatomy, and then opening up into the spiritual sciences behind that.
2: So when mm-hmm. you were a child, is what your mom did and what you were exposed to, did you kind of resist yoga and kind of going yeah. down that path? Or you were like, that's uncool, absolutely not touching that. At what point did you think, well, maybe there's something in it?
3: Well, there's actually a really funny story. So since me being in London, and I've, you know, for the past, what, 22 years I've been in London and practicing and teaching, I've always resisted going to Judith Lassiter's workshops for some reason. Okay. And I've always gone to Doug Keller, you know, doing anatomy, physiology, and biomechanics. And and for some reason everybody's like, Oh, you need to go and Judith. And I got tons of her books behind me, you know, and I'm just like, there's this weird resistance. And then I was speaking to my mom, and she I she has this big collage on her wall that I did. And it's this beautiful collage, but in it it says, Please stop making me go to yoga, (laughs) I love you. And I guess when I was a teenager, I used to, well, when I was a kid, I used to go to these yoga teacher trainings and I had a proper young teenager kind of tantrum, sulked in the back room, folded my arms, just totally shut down. And my mom was just so kind of embarrassed, but she cracked on with the teacher training. And lo and behold, she goes, do you know whose class that was? And I'm like, no, she's like Judith Lassiter's. I was like, no, you're joking. I'm like, what? that must've been imprinted in my unconscious. And now I'm like determined to go to one of her workshops just to kind of like, you know, come full circle of like, you know, where mm. you know how it started. Or maybe you regress. Maybe you
2: regress and you'll just be sitting there in the back angry. Like yeah, who is this? Course. Like really <laughs> <my laughs>
3: That's so not right. Doug teaches it better. You know, like that very judgmental thing that us yoga teachers do of like, this is right, you're wrong. You know?
2: <laughs> what does your mom think of what you do now then?
3: Oh she's totally proud. She's so proud. You know, I've I think she's proud because she's seen herself the the better quality of her live through me and that's what i hope my kids take the more beautiful self less of the uh, less beautiful (laughs) self (laughs) take my good side and go thrive Uh. um and then also just that i've found a calling that has brought security joy and uh, some purpose so there's a quality of um yeah just that i'm thriving in life
0: mm. when you so, do when you do feel your triggers come up are you always are you quicker now to catch them and have that self awareness behind them or do you still find yourself spinning off into that downward spiral and, and not being able to climb out of it as quick as you would like
3: yes and no so i i am really blessed of practicing for so long And I also have family members, my husband and my children, to mirror back.
0: Mm. And,
3: you know, they are very strong in themselves to be able to kind of mirror this back. So I do have an ability to see the red flags, but I am human. Mm. And sometimes like so I got we my family and I got stuck in Morocco during the lockdown so I was meant to have like a four-day holiday with the family they were supposed to go home and then we were going I was going to teach a yoga retreat in Morocco and then we arrived the day after they shut the borders
0: now we didn't know what
3: COVID was I had a Proper meltdown oh. and I'm like I'm having a meltdown I'm finding this really hard oh my god and I can see it my family are looking at me <laughs> I see it and I'm just like you guys I need it's gonna take me a while to process this because I think coming from a very insecure attachment and a family home that wasn't safe, going into new environments have always been very tricky for me. And I know it's one of the triggers and I have to do a lot of kind of like grounding and kind of self-talking in such a way to kind of nurture and support myself dealing with change and especially environments so I can feel safe. But it took me about a week to kind of feel, and I've been at this venue, like for eight years now, a couple times a year, I know it; it's safe, it's beautiful, but I didn't know how the Moroccan government was going to deal with it. I didn't know because I have had pneumonia three times. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I'm going to get really sick. I, you know, with the family being out there and being powerless and being locked into a place and not being, having freedom, it was a real big trigger for me. So I was able to see my flags and I was able to then start to utilize some of the steps to be able to metabolize my strong reaction and my my go-to one is to shut down Mm. and kind of withdraw and go paralyzed in a way and it's just a normal way of reacting to an outside stimulus of fear or anger or whatever it is and it's my go-to one. So I had to kind of slowly, and my my lovely family were very patient, mm-hmm. supportive, and and waited for me to unthaw and to open and to kind of find my way. So I do have a handful of tricks in my tool bag to be able to see when I go to extreme. But now, you know, I'm in my home. I get triggered by watching the news and I can see myself react and I go, okay, I recognize and acknowledge that my thinking right now is pretty <laughs> shitty and my feeling right now is quite out of control and I don't feel very stable right now. So what can I do? And so I have a thing, you know, a skill set of things that I I do to actually help nurture me, keep me grounded so I can, you know, keep going.
2: Mm. And that is something we don't do with it often. Just that ability to just stop and reflect and actually self-analyze. It's and so I think hard. the problem, although there is more and more yoga and meditation happening, so people are more equipped with the tools to do that. People are are are, are too distracted to be able to stop. Mm. Like the typical Londoner, you know, running notifications, going from place to place really fast. So much stimulus to actually have the time to just stop and reflect on what's happening it's actually really really rare so it's yeah although we're getting more tools i think the obstacles are to some degree getting greater
0: why are we
3: oh sorry go
0: ahead. i was just gonna say why are we programmed that way to to need to be doing something all of the time what is the problem with actually just taking that time to you know be still and quiet and tune in is it is it a way of distracting ourselves from ourselves because we're scared to feel is it something like that
3: I think it's even really just the basic neurology of the brain. Um, And this is coming from a part of the brain, the frontal limbic system part of the brain that communicates from the prefrontal cortex, which is the kind of conscious brain. Mm. It's the more evolved part of the brain that is like the CEO that's in charge of decision, decision decision-making and planning and, you know, conscious thinking about things. Whereas the, uh, um, the limbic systems, the feeling part of the brain that holds memories. It holds our fear response, our desires and um, our reaction brain. But in between is this part of the brain called the striatum. And it doesn't, it's not conscious and it doesn't really care about long-term consequences. All it wants is dopamine. And when you're in a fear state, part where your feeling brain is really reacting to not feeling safe or feeling angry or feeling strong feelings whatever it is and um the part of the brain called the hypothalamus is shooting out adrenaline in your brain and your body and cortisol um the conscious the, the prefrontal cortex the thinking brain is kind of going i'm stressed i'm angry i'm scared i'm you know like all these feelings that the frontal limbic part of the brain called the striatum just wants dopamine. Mm. And it's designed to keep us safe, where the uh, dorsal striatum, which is the top bit of it, actually is to do with uh, routines that form habits. And so every time you do a routine, you get a dopamine hit. Mm. And over time, as you do that routine, it becomes a habit and you get more dopamine hits. Now, underneath that is called um, the nucleus accumbens, which is another part of the brain that loves dopamine. But it's an impulsive part; it's the raver. It wants to party. So, anything <laughs> impulsive is gives you dopamine. Hence, mm. why like shopping or going on social media or you know doing exercise that gets you that hit real mm. quick, and doing anything impulsive or habitual gives you dopamine. So, if you're just stressed out, lonely, angry you know, fearful, whatever's kind of going on, We we long-term exposure, we don't want that. Mm-hmm. Like there's a part of your brain that's like, we can't handle, okay, let's do something that gives us dopamine, drink, food, sex, you know, anything that creates fun, pleasure that you enjoy gives you dopamine. At first it's yoga. And then all of a sudden it gets a progressive Um, it gets progressive because if it becomes a habit, it's not impulsive anymore. Hence why addictions become more progressively intense and and, and, uh, addiction worsens. So the delaying the gratification is key. Hence why yoga, meditation, and a lot of positive psychology and the way that we um, gift ourselves to connect is that that delaying the gratification of reaching out and trying to create a sacred space in which we can rest in this moment. Um, one of the acronyms, which is really simple, you're talking about before of like, this is you know, like, why, why can't we do this? Why it seems so big and complicated, but I find if we reduce these tools into a simple, like, um, Form, we can apply it because we're very complicated human beings. We're, we like to make things really complicated mm-hmm. and it's very simple. So, RAIN is an acronym R A I N. R is to recognize, to recognize and acknowledge your, your, dis, your, Stinking thinking, <laughs> your emotional distress, instability in the body, disturbances in the breath and mind. So those are the four symptoms of suffering according to the Yoga Sutras. So we start to recognize and acknowledge those happening, and then you a allow it because a lot of the time we're like, I don't, I don't want to feel fear. Yeah. Let me just drink some wine. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to feel angry. Let's go for a run.
0: Yeah, that's so and true. so that
3: kind of wanting to bypass your emotions mm. and what's going on is a very you know... It's an addictive way of like, I don't want to sit in my fear. I don't want to sit into my anger or my sadness. I don't want to sit in my disgust and revulsion and judgment. And actually the A and RAIN is to allow what is, to allow it, to stop bypassing it and to sit in it, to feel it. So mm-hmm. you A, allow, and this goes into kind of more yogic kind of perspective of that, that inhale is that space that you're gifting yourself, that ahimsa, mm-hmm. that sacred nurturing space you gift yourself to learn the lessons you're meant to learn without forcefully trying to change someone or change yourself and say you're not good enough it's that ahimsa is to open that space that is a nurturing space to allow what is so that as you allow that exhale pattern starts to lean you into what is so you recognize and acknowledge what you're thinking feeling um through sensation in your body noticing the breath and the mind swimming in tandem that you allow what is to breathe so you create greater breathing room but then the eye and rain is to investigate a bit deeper so you start to investigate is this new or is this old? Mm-hmm. Is this a childhood thing? Or is this something I picked up in my last relationship? Is this in my stomach? Is it my chest? Is it my throat? My head? Is it sharp and prickly? Is it whirly and spinning out of control? Does it want to jump out of my skin and run away? Do I feel like a rock? Do I not feel at all? Is it numb? So you start to kind of go, oh, interesting. And this is where the yogic kind of perspective becomes interesting because then all of a sudden you can read it of like, is it a granthi covering the lower? chakras is to a fear guilt and shame is it around my throat and chest is it my head is it you know energetically the left right or right you know you start to kind of analyze with the different maps and modalities that yoga provides you start to investigate and inquire and take inventory of um, what is happening for you and then the end is to nurture with non-judgmental awareness so technically in 133 in the yoga sutras were meant to be cultivating only four things non-judgmental awareness friendliness joy and compassion so drop the judgment and criticism and let me tell you I am the most judgmental and critical person Brain, I I struggle so much because, like you, Adam, it's like I'm constantly trying to, you know, go out there and control. And if I don't get it right, I give myself a hard time. Mm-hmm. I need to tick the things off the list. I need a structure. And there's this sense of kind of controlling, you know, my life so I can feel safe. And if I if I if I don't think about it, I feel like I'm too overwhelmed. So there's this kind of. Judgment and criticism of constantly finding myself short, but it's also a neurological development around the cingulate cortex, which is another for another, you know, anatomy, brain anatomy lesson, but it, it has a very strong negative bias and this part of the brain is always looking at for mistakes and errors. And if it wires that way, it starts to create this very negative downward spiral. So what we do is we recognize the thoughts, the feelings, the sensations, and the breath disturbances and what's going on in the mind, and, and start to befriend it. So mm. we attend and befriend. We allow that whatever is, and we kind of go, I see you. Tara Brock says it really brilliantly. She's a meditation Buddhist psychologist, and she goes, when you start to nurture this space and allow what is, just say, I see you, mm. and I'm right here. I'm not leaving you. You matter to me, I love you. And in that way you learn how to reparent yourself, that little girl inside me that didn't feel safe growing up, mm. that, that teenage girl that felt so awkward and out of balance and who got abused in different ways you know that nervous 20 year old you, you know i can go through all my ages i'm 42 now but <laughs> i don't need to but that sense of befriending myself and then you start to find little joys that little joy you anchor in the little joys that sincere gratitude of the the moment by moment awareness of okay what can i anchor my attention to the little joys and then learn how to comp- uh, compassionately kindly You know, care for myself, soothe myself, heal myself, you know, and and not go out and try to seek uh, uh, the splits to kind of solve my problems, Mm -hmm. or thinking an extra you know bowl of ice cream is going to you know solve my problems. Sometimes it's helpful, but um, majority of the time it's really creating a delayed gratification of habitually reaching out and grabbing something that we normally reach for and sitting with what is and sitting in a more kind, nurturing, loving way and kind of going, wow, we're really having a hard time. And then from that discernment, that wise discernment with loving awareness, we can find our way into more of a balanced state by these practices. And that becomes the yoga.
0: Mm. And when we're sitting there looking at all our lovely stuff that comes up, is the goal to get rid of it eventually? You know, love it and then send it on its way, and work to heal ourselves of all of those patterns and things that keep us stuck, or is it more a case of managing it? I
3: have, and you know, again, this is all theory, but I think we will continual. Like we've been, we've been gifted a handful of issues in this mm. lifetime I feel that That's we roughly. constantly are working through. And it's almost like a prism in the window. When the light shines through, it's all different colors. Mm. But it's the same prism. And that that is to a green, to a blue, it's the same issue. It's just a different hue. And I always am like, oh, this is this thing again. Oh, I'm refining my relationship around it, mm. and I like you're saying is, is that I can catch myself. The red flags come up a lot sooner, because I'm like, oh, I remember, you know, that that shmirti, that gaining your your memory of remembering. Ah, oh, I've been here before. Now, what tools did I, do I use to actually navigate this a little bit more skillfully this time? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, we're here again. We're going to learn the same lesson. All right. Come on, Zeph. <laughs> let's sit in this boat. Let's go for a ride. And I, I think it's not to get rid of them. I, I, I find this, this enlightenment retirement a little bit damaging for our industry that we put gurus on pedestals. Yeah. We we seek this kind of spiritual support superiority. And we seek people who have such a charisma and a confidence that seem but they're human. And mm. we all are going to have to feel our feelings. We all are going to be affected by death and change and disease and aging. And obviously that's the first noble truth. But that we start to kind of recognize that we're not going to get out of this. And I, I, I I spoke to Doug Keller, one of my teachers, and he believed that he was studying with a man who experienced enlightenment. He said to his teacher, he said, are you always enlightened? And he goes, no, but I know the pathway there. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like he had this awakening, but he can come and function as a normal human being, but he can also find his way back towards that state. Now, I don't think, and I don't think I want it. I don't think I'll ever get it to this enlightenment state or the state of liberation and freedom. I think I've been gifted an experience to constantly work on this stuff and find my way in accepting, you know, my humanity and hopefully make amends of when I do harm because through my own humanity, by nature, I make mistakes Mm -hmm. and I'm getting more skillful of being humble and saying, I'm really sorry. That really was inappropriate or unacceptable or that that really hurt. I see that. And making amends through, you know, action of living my life differently and making better choices in the way I communicate, the way that I ask for my needs to be met. And I think that is just a, a more realistic way of embodying these practices rather than trying to attain this hierarchy of like, when I tick these boxes, then I'll get to that platform Mm. and I'll arrive.
0: Mm.
3: And then you arrive and you're like, wait, really? And it's kind of like objectifying asana. I remember not even being able to touch my toes in the beginning. I was so crippled. And I was like, I just want to do downward dog without shaking. And now I can do downward dog without shaking. But now I'm like, Oh, I want to do that Austin. And then there's this kind of human nature to try to get to that peak pose. It's like yeah. hedonic adaptation,
2: it. isn't it? They'd call it hedonic adaptation.
3: Oh, Is oh that's of, a nice word.
2: Yeah. Say it again. Hedonic, hedonic. hedonic. No, right, he, hedonic yeah, yeah, yeah. adaptation. You he- want that? you want you want that thing, then it comes, then within you a few moments else. it satisfies you that's and you human want the nature, next thing. right? Yeah, to nature. And and I kind of come back to what you say there. I think, of course, humanity is just living is suffering in a sense, isn't it? And we all have to be kind of okay with that. Mm. But it's Mm. always trying to find balance and not indulge in that, not indulge in our thoughts about the nature of suffering, but let the thoughts come and go. And as you say, acknowledge them, let them arrive, let Mm. them have their moment, but Mm. not to get caught up in either the high or the low, but just to continue to find that balance.
3: And, like, I think and I it, think it's I think it's really helpful to go into some of that darkness. Yeah, I like do I well. said, of like allow that there. But make sure that you have resources of support. Yeah. Because I think sometimes a lot of the time you know, it feels so overwhelming. Like when my late husband relapsed, that was like a huge bubble. He was 13 years sober and we had two kids that wasn't coming. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't see that coming. It was such a huge burst of my reality. And then when he died, um, he died of cancer. That was another fracture that my heart opened up. That I was like, I'd be teaching, walking around with my hands against my chest because I felt like my heart was gonna fall out. And I was like, if I open this up, I don't think I can actually close the floodgates. It's too scary, it's too hard. So I needed to make sure that I had, you know, a therapist. You know, I had my sponsor, I had group meetings, I went to yoga practices that were very nurturing and aligned to actually um, feeding me, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. I needed to listen to things that actually connected to me to open up the gates a little bit, to let some of it out. So I didn't feel like I was going to be mm. overwhelmed. So I think there is, is this is that, you know, we're not going on to this bliss bubble of like, ha, ah, everything's happy rainbows, mm. kittens that are unicorns flying on my ass, <laughs> but then not go so dark with kind of like, Ugh, politics are horrible. The Earth is imploding. We're all scum. We're just this meat tube of pus and blood. Blah. Mm. You know, it's like okay, those two extremes. Are, there's a middle path
2: somewhere. Mm. <laughs> yeah. What did, what did Leonard Cohen calling us? We're all just elaborate versions of a tube.
0: Oh, that's so depressing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> elaborations of a tube. A brief, no brief elaborations of a tube. He exactly. Called it. You know, yeah, I, it, is more, it is a bit But I, I distracted myself with the Lennon Cohen thing. I think
0: it is, it is so important to allow yourself to feel them. And I think that what you were saying about yeah. enlightenment, I think that there's a real danger actually in the yoga community of people wanting to transcend and yeah. rise above the body and reach the higher chakras. And people get so obsessed with it that they forget about the trauma and the patterns and the childhood stuff that's stuck in the body. Mm. And, and instead we just bypass it, but it's so important. I think, I think it is important to go into it and, and it's, it's easy to not do that but it's mm. like but you said they're gifts to help us grow and I it, think that's such a lovely way to put it
2: again there is a, there's, I think there's a balance with yoga teachers though. I think sometimes yoga teachers who aren't qualified or without knowledge try to make you explore the deep stuff and try and take you to these dark places intentionally or try and play music that is going to make you cry and that's a sign of a good class everyone's everyone's crying at the end i must have taught a good class go off into the world now guys
3: (laughs) that's that's also really you know uh, one of my concerns you know this all this um breath work these processes to Um, hyperventilate Mm. and put people in this state. And I've done a few classes with a very lovely teachers, but they don't have a lot of Mm. life experience holding space because when you do hyperventilate, it's a trauma response for the body. And I myself had to calm myself down because I started reflecting into when I, I had to hyperventilate because there was a big quite a few traumas. And, and I was like, I know how to ground myself, but some people don't. And even in, you know, deep practices, I've been in groups where, yes, the music and then touch inappropriate to mm. like people kind of coming up to you and you're like, whoa, you don't know my injuries. You don't know, uh, you yeah. know, where I've been, how I've been treated and just the unconscious imposing oneself onto someone. Mm. It's, it's a really delicate um, experience that, you know, the way that I, I feel like I offer these things is a more of a shorthand for people because I don't want, I make sure that, yes, I I touch these things because I think that is a part of yoga is to challenge people as a teacher to face the kind of whole of the human experience, not just reduce it to yoga as asana and asana as stretching Mm. to actually get them to experience something more. But I also make sure that people are anchored. I also make time at the end process. And... Yeah, like you, I think there's a lot of teachers who get really excited because they themselves had it hmm. in a class, and they go and try to replicate it yeah. in another one without understanding what they're doing and/or getting proper training to be able to hold space. Uh, and
2: that is the, that is that word is key: replicate. And that's really, I think, really common in all forms of yoga, whether it be asana or teaching meditation or you know, or the, the breath work, which is increasingly popular now. Is is people witnessing it? even if it's just a social media video and then replicating it. But mm. for students, it's a problem. Replication can be a problem in that lots of students see shapes, whether it be in class or on, on social media, and try and replicate. And I think what, as teachers, we need to be giving understanding and context and we need to be educating rather mm. than instructing. I think that's a big difference. Have yeah. you Have you noticed in your time teaching you've been teaching what 20 years now i think I read. yeah
3: maybe yeah, yeah maybe less maybe yeah 20 years. yeah
2: 20 years ish the 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 reign of the guru or the reign of the teacher with charisma that will take advantage is that declining have you noticed that decline
3: yeah yeah and it's always been there but i think by human nature we are always seeking that charismatic leader You know, right now we're looking for a leader in the UK, Mm. we're looking for a leader in the US to bring us together, to guide us, to kind of mirror back our values, you know, where we're going, this optimism, this hope, this kind of we as humans are kind of pack mentality, in that way we need we want you know this kind of someone who can kind of hold space Mm. for everybody who can feel safe and and so i do think there is this when we come to yoga a lot of the time people come to yoga because they're broken in some form Mm. whether it's physical whether it's emotional mental or spiritual and you see a teacher and you're like oh you fit really nice on my pedestal Mm. and you can't help because they're like god they're really articulate They sound like they know their stuff. I feel great, therefore. And so it's a hard one, but I think really good teachers constantly um, put themselves under the bus, constantly humble themselves. Mm -hmm. Richard Freeman, I'd studied with him for years and years, and I still study with him and Mary. And um, I have always admired his humility i've always admired you know he was one of the originals that studied with padabi joy so one of the originals that brought ashtanga yoga to the west and he has such a humble nature and a slow methodical way in which answers questions in his presence and he sees people trying to put him on this pedestal and he's like "Nope, not gonna sit there (laughs) you know And i've always saw that and i'm like i want i see that in you and i want to To replicate that, Mm. I want that quality of humanity in the way that I teach. So I am quite self deprecating. I am, I try to be very real. I try not to, you know, pretend I'm something other. I try to just be like, yeah, my shit stinks too, and be funny about it, use my own stories to kind of use it as an antidote, but then also not process my stuff in a class where people are kind of like, scared. So I have this confidence because I'm like, I've already dealt with this, but this is something that I've had to deal with. And I've used this tool with, and it was hard. And people are like, I relate to you, Mm -hmm. you being human, but I don't, I'm not crying and I'm not, you know, dealing with my stuff in class. But I think there's a certain, like, if they can see that I'm, I'm just as human as they are, I'm a student just as they are. I'm, and I, and I have been drawn to teachers who have that spiritual superiority complex, who are misogynists, who have abused their positioning for power, for reputation, for wealth. And it's really heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It's really heartbreaking because, you know, I'm like being raised where I was raised. I'm like any con artist. I'm like, I can see straight through you. I'm not, you know, and then the veil gets opened and I'm like, Oh no, damn it. (laughs) You know, like, Oh, I got suckered into that again. So I, I approach, um, teachers now of really trying to see them and see their shadow side. Know that there, it is there. Hear their wisdom, see them in their private life to kind of, you know, how they are in their life. And, see that, God, they're just, they're just students trying to do this human experiment just as much as I am. Mm. And a lot of them have studied a lot more. I'm, I would love to be an academic and know more about this stuff. I'm really a practitioner. I don't really, you know, know verses. Like I, I, one of my peers is Graham Burns and he has like a PhD and a master's and he's just like knowledge of, text and proper Sanskrit terms and he always corrects me on my terrible Sanskrit. <laughs> but I appreciate he has space in our community because he's such a wealth of knowledge and insight. And I I can fulfill that. So when I have students are like, Can I can you tell me more about that? And I'm like, I can't, but I have someone who can. Like Vicky Fox. She knows so much more about cancer and yoga. And I always am like I I treat people with cancer and yoga, and I really um, I've supported loads of people going through it. But if they really want to go deep into it and learn, go to Vicky. Mm. She studies that. It's really good, um, you know. And I have other little avenues of people who that specialize in that. Isn't that the
2: beautiful thing about teaching in a big city? In that you don't mm. need to be everything to everyone. Yeah. You can refer to people to elsewhere, and you and it gives you free reign to do exactly what you want to do, to find your niche and just roll with it without any guilt.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and it's, it, it's an interesting one because being in London, when I first started doing yoga, it was old school. You studied mm. with a teacher. You studied at a certain school. And people would come all over to study with that teacher. Now that yoga has become like this huge industry and everybody's a yoga teacher now, That I find that you know I have a core group of a community that sees me, but there's loads of people that pop in and out because it's convenient because they Mm -hmm. have a yoga studio next to them now, or they have a class that they like to play in, or they have a class that they like to kind of rest in, and then they they like my class, so they I'm a part of their kind of support group, that they start to see that it's you know I'm not the end all be all you know i'm even an incomplete system Mm. and so you know people want to go and have those experiences and i've had to kind of go oh my poor little ego you know oh everybody's kind of going and doing Mm. now that movement and everybody's now going over there and doing that (laughs) am i missing a trick nozef teach what you love to learn Mm. practice what you love to experience Don't try to fit in their box, let them go. And I've had students where this is, it was weird. I had one week where I had about five students do this in one week where they used to study with me and they left for years and they came back full circle and they were like, Zephyr, I never understood your preambles. I never really, (laughs) I found it really boring and I never knew what you were talking about. And he talked in practice. I just wanted to do the asana. But now that I've kind of gone around
0: mm. and I now
3: have had this experience, oh, I'm so glad because I now can hear you. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't tell you how much that means to yeah, you. That's lovely. Because it's like it gave me the practice of humbling myself to let go of this, student, mm. see them studying with other schools of thought and kind of go, wow, how does that feel, Zephyr? you're not important to them anymore (laughs) you know and like you know that kind of edge where it's really hard you know i think us yoga teachers have the biggest egos that get bruised and then but to kind of go i'm i sometimes the way that i teach is not someone's cup of tea and they're people are willing and ready to hear it when they they are and maybe not never but the way that i teach the way that i experience it i have to Humbly, find of like I fill up my little corner of London. You know, you do what you do so well. You do what you do so well. And there's so many these amazing characters of teachers around ha- that do their life so well. There's enough space, and I think what is going on socially, politically, on such a mass, this kind of separate and us and other and fighting for airtime and this kind of keeping up with the Joneses mm-hmm. and this relevancy. It's really hard because it all oh, and social media is about this compare and despair of like they're doing this and I'm not. They have a better mm. podcast than I am. They have more followers than I and it keeps this like you know, this this need to wanting to get more dopamine, hence why this spiral out yeah. of control of behavior that goes out sideways so People become these gurus in a way of like, oh, I need following and become controlling and become very dark and manipulative. And I just am like, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. I need to start practicing and keep my side of the street clean. I need to make it okay, a safe space for people to come and go, to take what they like and leave the rest, mm-hmm. to, you know, offer like, oh, well, this doesn't serve you, I know someone else that you might really enjoy. have to stomach it have to swallow it Mm -hmm. have to find my way into a humble submission of kind of going no this is this is this is humanity it hurts
0: and try and keep it simple
3: and
2: it is and we do live in a pretty attention deficit society don't we so even having someone's attention for six months is a wonderful thing
0: yeah
3: exactly (laughs) Let's,
2: yeah. let's do, because we are, we're almost 52 minutes. Oh, so could go on forever. We could go on forever, but let's do a little, few little quick fire ones for you now.
3: Oh, so, gosh. <laughs> just, well, they don't
2: need to be quick, but quickish. Uh, any, any motto or quote that is now like you're leading you this week? Or the- I am
3: open. I am willing. Please guide me. Oh, beautiful.
0: If you could press a button to enlightenment and peace 24-7, would you push it?
3: No.
2: Love it. Right. Okay. Right. Any tips for looking after a dog? We might get a dog at some point. Yeah. Any, oh, yes!
3: any any any
2: quick quick tips for <laughs> training a dog?
3: It's a precursor to a child. Um, they are little <laughs> children. Um, Patience. Um, you have to show up. Um, oh God. You have to fall in love with it. And the problem with falling in love, it hurts so much when they get injured, mm. they get ill, and they pass. It is welcoming another little sentient being in. And you just have to, you know, open your heart and know that, you know, this little this little being has been gifted to you. to mm. mirror back. It's a little teacher. And to find a way to a deeper relationship of, you know, patience, tolerance, selflessness. It's like having a child and it's a real, it's like a proper practice. I love, you know, um, when yoga teachers become parents to dogs and or children and they're like, oh my God, I thought it was practicing before, but oh my (laughs) God, I have to practice now. (laughs) That's true. That's exactly
0: what uh, we had Marcus Vader on the podcast the other week and he said exactly that and exactly those words pretty much. (laughs) Could you offer some words of advice for people that may be going through a tough time during this period?
3: You're not alone. And you're not alone. And to seek out support, in many different forms. Yoga meditation is an incomplete system. Um, getting help through therapists, therapist, making sure that you're eating well, you're around good company, listening to podcasts, audible books, uh, listening to beautiful music, be out in nature. Make sure that you get to the doctor, make sure your hormones are um, in balance. Make sure that if you do need medication, you take it. Um, yoga and meditation is an incomplete practice. It's not the end all and be all the only brick in your wall. You need many bricks. So Humpty Dumpty doesn't fall. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you have a holistic way of supporting yourself and you have a handful of trusted people you can be real with That they're not there to fix or solve. They hold space and hear you without judgment, that you can be messy. You can be dysfunctional you can say things that you feel free that 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 you can get off your chest and help process with but this too shall pass just like everything does nothing stays the same It's the practice and the teachings of impermanence but to hang in there to um, set an intention every morning delay that gratification of just doing a habitual way of kind of automatic pilot of create sacred pauses, sacred spaces in which you turn inwards, touch the area of your vulnerability and ask yourself, what is my heart long for? What is my soul's calling? And as you listen to it, reduce it to something really simple. Like today, I need more self forgiveness. I need self-compassion, self-acceptance. Maybe I need strength, courage, you know, this confidence. Maybe I need creativity, playfulness, joy, connection, faith, trust, one word and use that word like a mantra and do japa you know peace be with me love be with me um the force be with me whatever you want to say but may it guide me and you do it like a japa practice where you repeat it to help like a compass guide you navigate you and or anchor you to weather the storm when you feel like it's out of control but know that you're not alone that we are, and as the saying goes, in different boats, sailing the same storm. So when we open our kind of vulnerability to someone and say, I'm really having a hard time, they go, you too? And it bridges this thing where we start to actually connect to other people and go, I see you, you know, I'm right here with you, you matter. You know, I'm not leaving that way of nurturing as Tara Brach says it so brilliantly. So it's a way of just know that you're not alone, but use, reach out, reach for people who you see something in them that you aspire in yourself. Ask them how they're doing it, how what, what they're using and, and keep seeking, keep seeking, keep practicing.
0: I'm coming to your class tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a way to finish. Thank you so much for Thank your you, time. Zepha. It's been such a Aww. treat to speak to you.
3: Thank it's you. So lovely to speak to both of you. Thank you so much. I feel very honoured to be a part of your guys' podcast. Thank you.
0: Honestly, I'm balanced.